0: The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, their, de- their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. This is, an, this is the opening of Psalm 14 in the Old Testament, and I open it as a warning sign, but also as a way of setting the tone, because today we are talking about evil. Episode 94 of the Redacted Culture cast, Meditations on Evil. Throughout human history, it really should be understood as the outlier to believe things like there is no such thing as evil, that evil is just the perspective of men who don't like one another. Such an attitude and such a perspective is dependent on a series of assumptions which are more often held, by my understanding, because of the moral assuagement they give. They give a sense of relief from the burden of responsibility, and the question is, and always should be, at what cost? The idea that there is no such thing as evil in many ways could come across as absurd. Many of us have gone to war, and we have seen at least some form of senseless suffering. We've seen pain. We've experienced pain. We've seen the foolishness that comes from bad leadership, expecting people to suffer for the decisions of those they never Had any influence over? A team leader makes a mistake, and why is the private doing the push ups? Who really knows? That's just the way of it. Authors as Christian as C.S. Lewis, or as morally ambiguous in a sense as Cormac McCarthy in Blood Meridian, have addressed the presence of evil, and in some ways, as philosophers like to be credited or perceived as considering hard questions like what does it mean to be good? What is the good? It also means that we have to ask the question what does it mean to be evil? Or what do we mean when we speak about evil? In my observation, which is limited to myself, but it is still observation, I think that I I see that there are only three ways that people can come to a conclusion that there is no evil. The first one is a sense of privilege, is is coming from a position of privilege. And not that kind of privilege that the pundits will tell you that exists primarily within the upper class, but rather the type of privilege that comes from people who never had to experience pain because of the hard work and goodwill of other peoples. This kind of idea that evil does not exist comes from that perspective that is only achieved by the absence of experience, but it's a special type of absence of experience. And that absence of experience comes at the cost of other people's actions, which very oftentimes becomes something else. So the first way that we can come to the conclusion that there is no evil is is through this privilege of perhaps living in America in a reasonable home that never had to experience the real hardship of it. And it oftentimes leads to risk aversion and creates the ivory tower. The problem with the privilege perspective though is that it has to be maintained. It's similar to the second one, or maybe it could be 1.2 or 1A is privilege and 1B is naivety naivety would require of us, or what naivety would suggest is that the reason why we believe that there's no such thing as is, is evil is out of a naive hope or belief in the goodwill of men. And naivety itself is a tricky subject because in a sense, just like privilege, naivety must be maintained Now, the second one, the second way that somebody can come to a belief, a belief in sorts that there is no such thing as evil, can be achieved through some form of rigorous philosophy, although those who are familiar with it and who have gone down that road and have spent the time and the years reading and considering and trying to figure it out and coming to this conclusion, the element of respectability which they understand very well, is extremely narrow, especially for this position. Because in order to say that there's no evil from a logically consistent position, that logically consistent does not impart truth. It just simply means it has no contradictions. In order to to hold the, the belief that there is no such thing as evil, then you must also understand or must also confess, state, believe that the great atrocities in human history were not themselves evil. That whether the outcome nor the intent of the people was not to do evil, the outcome itself was not evil. And you have to be able to say that with conviction that the Holocaust, the Holodomor, and the ongoing hatred between brother and against brother in our world is actually not evil itself, it's just something else you might be able to say tragedy but that's difficult but the third and most common explanation for why somebody would maybe not common but the, the third and most convicting way that someone would come to the conclusion that there is no such thing of evil is because and this will be investigatory and probably heavy handed but it is because they recognize that there is in themselves some element of evil they have desires in their heart or in their mind they have wants that they know are not good. They may not understand why they're not good, but they know that they're not good. And so, in order to assuage themselves, to sort of intellectually absolve themselves of this idea that they could be evil in this way, they explain it away. A very common edition of this one, a very common version of this, and a good illumination of what it produces is the sort of Marxist oppression narrative. You know, you have these desires in your heart to, you desires in yourself to go do something horrible to somebody, but you can justify it because you're oppressed. And suddenly you're not actually seeking vengeance, you're seeking justice. And this is the third and final, this is the, this third explanation of how someone could come to the conclusion that there's no such thing of evil is extremely morally suspect. It's malicious. Either we can go back to the beginning, 1A, privilege, 1B, naivety. We said that both of these have to be maintained. And you can hold these positions with a certain amount of innocence. Remember, naivety has within its idea baked into that cake a little bit of innocence. Um, Both of these ideas have to be held. They have to be maintained at some point in time ignorance has to be maintained you do not remain ignorant apart from intent this is a major differentiation i may maybe a challenge that i place against the way that we think about knowledge and wisdom that in so much so in the west we think of it as education if i only knew better i would have done better but rather maybe it's different maybe it's there are things that I know that are not true, but I want them to be true because if they are true, that means I'm something better and I want that to be true. I want to be better than my fellow man, not in a work harder, do more, you know, do more, perform more, do more, work harder, do more good, love more. No, I just want to be considered ontologically better and I can achieve that by simultaneously killing my conscience of the feeling of guilt by saying there is no evil. It is simply a lack of education. So while there is this belief that people have that there is no such thing as evil, and while people may hold that idea in order to hold that idea beginning from a position of privilege or naivety it has to be maintained and the thing that maintains it is malice three ways to acquire the three ways to stand on the position that there is no evil one naivety or privilege two the hard work of an intellectual position which one knows is a narrow narrow window and it comes at co- consequences such as you cannot look at atrocities like the Holodomor and say that was bad. It was just tragic. But the third is malice. And that malice can come through self-worship and that, that malice can come through maintaining a position of one's illusion of innocence. So what do we do about it? What if? What about it? Now's now. There's the next question. So we know that at least the the ideas that hold, or the, from this position, that the ideas that hold that evil doesn't exist are kind of circum. They're 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 questionable. But then we have to face the age old historical question of the problem of evil. The problem of evil will sound familiar to you, most likely. Most of us have heard versions of the problem of evil by now and it goes something like this if god is true if god is good and powerful all-powerful and all-knowing if he knows all that is good all that is, and he is all powerful and he is all-knowing then how could he create a world where evil exists and i before, instead of answering this question today i'm going to raise the bar If you have asked this question, or you have heard this person or heard somebody ask this question, inquire for yourself is the person asking the question actually interested in the answer? Because if the answer is no, then they're just trying to look smart. And that's wrong. It's deceptive, at least. Most likely, it's worse. Perhaps quite masturbatory in this ugly sense. But rather, the problem of evil is a long, long historical problem a question that people have asked for decades and millennia and it's worth answering and the way that you answer it is the way that you come to the conclusion of what is evil there's the augustinian perspective that evil is the 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 lack of the good like darkness is the lack of light cold is the lack of heat and this is a argument that can come across kind of like that weird horseshoe argument where like the really low end and the really high end agree, but those in the middle have a problem with it. This is where, where exists this this sort of horseshoe theory of understanding is that there are people of great intellectual achievement who have come to conclusions on this one and seeked, sought out answers and understood the horse, this good or evil as the absence of good explanation and then sometimes it comes across very matter-of-factly to people, very straightforward, and that's, that is something else. For some reason, the pseudo-intellectuals in the middle seem to have a huge problem with it, but it doesn't mean that it's not achievable, and so I need to move on. Rather, what's more importantly is, how do you then come to an understanding of there being evil at all if you do not have some arbiter of morality being God? Because if there is no God, then what is good? And if there is no good, what is evil? And if there is no way of determining either, what does it matter in the first place? In an attempt to create a moral system, absent some sort of moral framework that was preconditioned by a God figure, whether it was in the Enlightenment or in the modern era or, our cont- or the postmodern era, we've sought uh, different ways of trying to answer this question, one of them being human flourishing. And right off the bat, we're going to run into a problem, and it should be recognizable by most, that the question about human suffering or human flourishing is what constitutes human flourishing? By what standard is it considered flourishing? In other words, I might feel happy, but I know that I'm producing that happiness through ways that somehow aren't good. I know that I'm lying. I know that I'm stealing. I know that I'm cheating. Or I know when I'm being stolen from. Or I know that I'm not being stolen from, but I would rather be so that I could feel vengeance and justice against that person. The problem with the question of human flourishing is it's dubious to quantify As soon as you start quantifying it, you reduce people into mere numbers. We would be good people if we had economic outcomes. It's a morally dubious question. And so when it comes to how we think about evil and how do we define it, it's not an easy question, but it's still one worth considering. And I have my answers. And I would imagine that you do too. However, I think it's worth under. However, the challenge that I'd like to present is that if the simplicity of your explanation on what is good and what is evil is by observation and feeling, then what standard is that for mankind to have to bow their understanding of morality to the whims of your emotions? What I feel is not the same as what you feel. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't, but we are different people. And so while we may live in concert one with one another, even my wife and I may have conversations where we disagree. This is what it's like to be humankind. If you were to try to base all morality on a democratic institution like whatever the majority says, you're going to get a bad outcome. We've seen it time and time again. This is then the libertarian response. What right is it for the... It it is no better. This is um, John Stuart Mill in On Liberty. It is no better that if one man could oppress the will of the 99, he would do so. It is no better that he should be able to do that than if the 99 were to choose to oppress him. It is not so simple, but it's okay because we're here to engage in it together. If I do follow... Like I said earlier, I do tend to follow in the Augustinian perspective that evil is the absence of good and so what evil would be is more encompassing than simply just the bad will of man if there is a source of goodness whatever it is that being god and everything that is a diminishment of that goodness whether it's sickness or whether it's death in this sense or whether it's malice or whether it's dishonesty the lack of truth the lack of integrity that's how i would understand evil as that there is something that is true and anything that is a shadow of it is evil sometimes that evil is intentional to lie sometimes that evil is unintentional to be wrong so ultimately though the problem with evil not the problem of evil but the problem with evil is the question that we have to ask ourselves what do we do with it this podcast regularly deals with subjects of violence and capabilities of violence and we spoke about it earlier earlier this week actually when we, uh, when we had i had a conversation on you should train so that you do not do evil, so that you are aware of your capabilities, so you know what you're doing, so you have some semblance of control over your actions. And in the world that we live in, we might believe in a sense of justice and look out and see anything but it, But it's and it's not an easy task. However, I believe we are indebted we are commanded in a sense. We are required by a being alive to chase after and try to pursue that which is good. And in one way, especially for, for us in this, in this environment, uh, justice is one of those. And we are, no, we are in no way unfamiliar with people hijacking the language of justice to use the power of the state to get their outcome. So let's make an assumption here. We know that evil exists, assumption one. And two, that we have come to some conclusion about that metaphysical platform of what evil is. We have some sort of understanding that evil is a thing or it is the absence of a thing or we have some sort of understanding on how we came to that conclusion. The question then that really burns at our hearts and and, and oftentimes burns in our mind is what do I do about it? What do I do about the evil that I see in every day? and we're we're generally wise enough not to overreact although there are exceptions still what we're looking at and what we feel is that we we know that there is evil in the world but we are told that there is not that it is purely a matter of perspective and so instead of doing the good work of trying to figure out what to do about it and then build a mechanism for handling it we instead continue to exist in a state of pseudo passivity where we prepare for an event that may never happen while waiting for somebody to stop telling us not to do what is right i'll be clear on that again stop telling us not to do what is right why are we listening to them in the first place that question is for you to answer but now we have to think about the problem of evil. Tim Tim Poole was on uh he did an episode not too long ago talking about I think it was uh I I I I only caught the the beginning of it, but it had to do with a um a human ex a child exploitation ring being discovered in a social media platform. Uh and he said that they were not willing to spend money to work with law enforcement to uncover it instead somebody from outside the organization had to do the journalism work to figure it out i think that's what it is it's a paraphrase don't add me too hard but i think he was i think he was completely wrong instagram was willing to spend money to censor people who shared firearms content while openly allowing soft core pornography to proliferate on their platform as if it was Innocent material, maybe that's a little too much. maybe I went too far there, but it's it, so 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 the question that we look at is what do we do with something like that? We know on the one hand that the exploitation of people is evil. There are ways that we can come to concluding that, but we're going to take on an assumption, and I think it's a safe assumption. I mean, really, if we want to argue about it, why is it wrong to exploit people it's the infringement of rights and so on and so forth? It's also dehumanization, it's an affront to the image of God, but I, I'm, I'm digressing um But we have on the one hand of this example that somebody exploits somebody. And if we wanna really rile up ourselves, they exploit a child. Now we can look at that and say, you know what, I don't always need to understand the mechanism of that, but I know that is evil. I know that is evil. Now what do I do with it? And that might be one question. The next question is a little bit more nuanced. What do you do when somebody defends that person? What happens if they're a lawyer and it's their job and it's their, they're sort of required to? What happens if they're not a lawyer? They're a social media platform. What happens when you have a social media platform that turns a blind eye to human trafficking rings knowingly and, admitting, and, and admittingly while continuously making it harder for you to find good ethical content? That is a question. What happen, Is where where does that land in our understanding of evil? Where does where does it where does it come from? Where do we get this idea that it all, all it takes for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing? What then does it mean when good men do nothing? Does that hold true if we want to step out of the field? If we want to crack a beer and sit down on the couch? What, 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 how does that play out? These are hard questions that we have to answer, but I think if I can give you one piece of advice is that no one will answer that question for you. No other human being can answer you that deep-hearted personal question of why you pursue what is right. We can come alongside of you. We can speak wisdom in your life. We can give you advice. We can be here for one another. We can laugh in your times of joy and cry in your times of sorrow, but I cannot produce in you something that I must produce in myself in this way. But still, I want to implore you that we, are, we do exist in this world together, that there is good to be pursued. For us to be good men... And it's strange to say, it even gets stranger as we go forward, but it's strange to say that perhaps it's time for us to stop being passive. And and what I mean by active is get to know the people around you. It hurts. You will make friends, you will lose them but we'll make it out on the other side. This rumination, these meditations on the questions of evil continue on. What does it mean to meditate on evil? If you're going to consider what it means to meditate on evil, I would ask you these three things. Consider what you think it is, how you see it in yourself, and how you can find ways to counter it in yourself and then move out from there. But when you see it in your in your environment and you have influence over that, that is when it stands for you to say, here I am, send me. And for most of us, if not all of us, the answer is not Washington. It may not even be the governorship of our state. It may not be our local elections. It might just be in your your family, in your friends in your churches, in your communities, in your schools. But as each of us individually learn to and choose to say, I will face evil. And you face evil because it is evil, not because you want glory. We may not be able to, as the prophesiers of suffering say, reclaim Country. We may not be able to save America if that's what people want to use. Maybe there isn't anything to save. Maybe America is what we make of it. Maybe the West is what we make of it. Maybe our communities are who we choose to be there. Governments are consisted of men. Churches are consisted of men. Families are consisted, well, of men and women. By men I mean people. So, if you're waiting for somebody to go fight evil on your behalf, or you're waiting for the day where you get to take up all that training you've been putting into and go fight evil, that day was yesterday. That day was yesterday. It takes no great effort to look out into the country or into the world and say it is backwards, it is absurd, absurd. up is down and left is right. What is right is being called as wrong, what is good is being called evil, what is evil is being called good. But even if that is the case, we are not absolved from our individual responsibilities to choose what is right and pursue it voluntarily, by our own accord. Ranger Battalion has this problem. It has this term that says, sua sponte, by their own accord. That's their their phrase, their 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 motto of sorts. And it only survives if the people who constitute Ranger Battalion volunteer daily to be the best that they can be, and when they're not, to be thankful when their buddy comes up next to them and says, you can do better. We'll, be, we'll make it out of this. We'll carry on. Choose what it is that you aim at. This has been the 94th episode of the Redacted Culture Cast, Meditations on Evil. Keep your hatchet sharp and your powder dry.